Well, good morning, friends and family. Welcome again to a, a wonderfully snowy morning. Uh, I just want to start today with uh, prayer. Um, today, my message is titled Sharpening the Saw of Service. And we're going to be looking at the spiritual discipline of service. But as we were singing, it just really dawned on me the reality of is, you know, I, I can preach a great message. I can have a lot of notes here and I can say a lot of stuff. But at the end of the day, if the Holy Spirit doesn't come and change our hearts, make our hearts believe like we were just singing, uh, none of this matters. So let's just start with prayer. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we get to come and sing. Lord, we thank you that we get to fellowship together. Lord, we thank you that, that you have sent your son Jesus to die on a cross, that we could be saved. And Lord, we thank you that you gave us your Holy Spirit, and now your Holy Spirit lives in our lives. And so today we want to ask you, Father, you've said um, that our earthly fathers know how to give good gifts. How much more will you give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And so, Lord, we ask this morning, Lord, send your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come be with us, Lord, as we uh, talk about how we love and serve and cherish you, God that you would make our hearts believe that there is more and that you are better. Lord, that, that between, between you and any other option, you are the best option. Lord, make our hearts believe this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're going to be in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 11. And so for this uh, sermon... Um, as we're looking at New Year's, a lot of us are making uh, new resolutions. Some of us have started uh, our Bible reading plans. Maybe some of us have said we want to be a better Christian in a particular area. Um, one thing I do every year is I, I read one book um, pretty much at the beginning of every year. It's called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. It's uh, by an author called, uh, his name is Donald Whitney. Um, he is the professor of, I believe, spiritual formation at um, Southern Seminary. And it's just a book that has always really ministered to me. So as I was praying about what do I want to talk about coming into the new year, um, I decided I really want to preach about our service to the Lord in this new year. And so uh, most of the scripture references and kind of the flow of this sermon comes from Donald Whitney's book. It's back there on the back table if you want to check it out after service. But let's read our text today. Romans 12, 11 says this, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Read that one more time. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. This past spring, Chelsea and I were uh, doing some yard work around our house. And uh, on, on the, the left side of our house, we had this one particularly just honestly disgusting looking tree. It was some sort of uh, pine mixed with, I don't know, maybe a bonsai tree. I don't know what two trees crossbred to make this hideous thing in the side of our yard, but it was really twisted and it was kind of gnarled and it was just, it was honestly just an ugly tree. It was very unsightly at, on the side of our house. And I would always have to mow around it and weed whip around it. It was just really in this really inconvenient spot in our yard. And, and one day I went out there and I was weed whipping around it, and I just, honestly, I just wanted it gone. Like, I, I think maybe it poked me in the eye or something, but I just looked at this tree and was like, this thing needs to go. And so, uh, me being the industrious person I am, that was a joke. Um, so, I, I went into the garage, and I grabbed uh, a hacksaw, and I started sawing. And I was like, I just want this thing out of here. The only problem was, um, I had kind of left the saw blade out where it had gotten a little bit wet, and so the saw blade was uh, pretty much just as ugly and rusted and gnarled as the tree itself, and so I was sitting there, and I was, I was cutting, and I was cutting, and I was cutting, and I just didn't get very far before I realized that uh, the tree was going to win today, and um, so I gave up. I eventually came back with, with a new saw blade and finished the job, but as I was thinking about this and, and thinking about this memory, I, I realized that this tree was a lot like ministry. It was ugly, and it was gnarled. It was hard to deal with. It wasn't always the most pleasing thing to deal with. And we all grow weary in serving God and serving others sometimes, don't we? Ministry is not easy. It's hard. Whether you're in a public ministry or you're just ministering in your own home or in your job, whatever way you minister, ministry is often ugly work, and it's often hard. And the saw was a lot like my ability to serve. 
When I'm sharp and I'm full of grace and I'm prayed up and I, and I go into serving with the right motives, it becomes so much easier and so much more enjoyable to do the work that God has called us to. Not only that, but it becomes far more God-glorifying. So today we're going to talk about the spiritual discipline of serving. And what I want to do is quickly define what I mean by that term, spiritual discipline. And so what is a spiritual discipline? So a spiritual discipline is a particular consistent act one performs with the aim of growing in Christ-likeness. Let me read that again. Spiritual discipline is a particular consistent act one performs with the aim of growing in godliness or what we might call Christ-likeness. So there's a lot of um, thought on what the spiritual disciplines in the Bible are, but I'm just going to list them off so we get an idea of what they are. So the spiritual disciplines that I prescribe to, some add some, some take some away from this list, are Bible intake, meditation, prayer, worship, evangelism, service, stewardship, fasting, silence and solitude, learning, reflection, and perseverance. They are actions that Christians take with the aim of growing in godliness. And they're particular actions that are prescribed in God's word. So what makes prayer different than going to the gym? Well, God said, if we pray, he will make us more like Jesus. He did not say, if we lift weights, he will make us more like Jesus. That's what makes these two things different. They are prescribed in God's word. And they're tested in true ways to grow in our spiritual walk with Christ. Now, the goal of partaking in spiritual disciplines is not to just, in our own power, sort of muscle our way and toil our way into Christ-likeness. But the goal is to do these things and sort of place ourselves in what we might call the avenues or the, river, or the rivers of God's grace so that we're poised... And we're positioned for God to pour out his grace and do what only he can do. At the end of the day, without God's help, Jameson cannot become any more like Christ than anybody else, right? I can't work my way into being more like Christ. So it's spiritual work, right? Spiritual change that's brought about by physical exertion, action, and labor, okay? It's action and labor that, that God uses to change us. So think of it this way. So when you go to plant a tree, right, you neither created the seed or the ground or the dirt that you're going to plant it in. You didn't create the water that you're going to use to water it with, and you certainly didn't create the sunlight to make it grow. All you're doing, right, is you're taking that seed, which is just a simple act of faith, right, and you're planting it in the ground, which is an action. You're taking your faith and adding action, right, and you're being dependent on God to do his part. Namely, to bring the rain and the sunlight and to cause the seed to die, which will eventually make it grow. We can't control any of those things. All we can do is take the seed and put it in the ground. You're actively engaging in work that God has promised to use to make you more like Jesus. A very simple word for this would be sanctification, right? It is our growing in Christ-likeness. But what we have to do whenever we're talking about spiritual disciplines, is we have to do one thing. We have to start with the gospel, okay? Because this is where people often get wrong when they're talking about doing disciplined things for Jesus. And, and I want to begin first by anchoring, right, our foundation for service in the bedrock of the gospel. Now, it's, it's really no secret that we often forget the reality that we are saved by God's unmerited favor, and we're saved through the gift of faith, right, and the belief of his son, Jesus, who died for us willingly, without us choosing him or asking him, and he rose again so that we could experience redemption and be able to magnify the worth and the wonder of our creator, God. In other words, we forget that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. We forget these things so often. 
But what the gospel does, this truth that we are saved by God's unmerited favor, by Christ, right, for God's glory, by faith, it, it, it keeps, right, it keeps us in right balance. It reminds us that no amount of work or service that we could ever do, no action we could take, can ever pay for even one of our most trivial sins, right? No amount of action we take could ever pay for even the most trivial of our sins, and the gospel keeps our service to God in right balance, and it allows us to offer acceptable service to God in light of what he's done, not in order that we would gain more from him, right? We do it because of what he's done, not in order that we would gain more from him. We don't do these things so God will love us, right? All Christians have God's love. God's heart was for his children, as the Bible says, before the foundation of the world, right? Our, 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 our repenting from sin and trusting in Jesus didn't make, God's love, make God love us. It was his love that caused us to do that in the first place. So we don't do these things so that God will love us. He proved his love for us. So while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? We don't do these things either so that we could be saved. So we don't work for God's love and we don't work for salvation. Salvation is found in Jesus alone and in his work on the cross, his work in rising from the grave. This work is not work unto salvation. What we do is we, we don't do these things so we could find salvation, we work, and so we could grow the fruit of our salvation, right? We work so we could show that our salvation is real, and the fruit of our salvation grows. We become more like Christ, and our sanctification continues on, our growing in Christ-likeness. So we don't do these things for any other merit, because there's no merit to be gained. We do these things simply to bring glory to God's name, by becoming more like Jesus. And the gospel frees us to pursue these disciplines as forgiven and loved and accepted and encouraged, cherished children of God. So I don't want anybody to leave today with the idea that, you know, Pastor Jameson said we have to work harder so we can be better Christians, right? I don't want anybody to leave today say, Pastor Jameson says, you know, we have to work harder so God will love us so that we can be more saved than we already are. That's, that's, that's not the point of this. So let's ground our service in the bedrock of the gospel. Let's anchor our work in the gospel, okay? So here's our first point. All Christians are called to serve. All Christians are called to serve. Paul says it in Romans 12, 11, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. I love the way the NIV says it. It says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Now, when we received new life by, by trusting and believing in the gospel, we became children deeply loved by God, but in that same moment, we became something else. We became recruits in God's service. We became recruits in God's army. And God expects that all of his children serve in his kingdom. As soldiers in God's army, our Father expects that we learn to support the mission of his kingdom. And the mission is to make disciples, to spread the gospel, to call the world to repentance and faith, and to let our light shine before men that God would receive glory. And now when some of us think about serving in God's kingdom or serving in God's army, it might conjure up these really grandiose ideas, right, of, of foreign missionaries serving on the front lines, giving their lives for Jesus and, and serving people who might not even speak their own language. It might conjure up ideas of mighty evangelist preachers like, like John Owen or Charles Spurgeon who, who, who just in their preaching like, there were people just falling out and falling on their knees because the Holy Spirit was so strong in them. You know, it might conjure up ideas of, of worship leaders who kind of seem like the Holy Spirit is just perched on their shoulder and, and guiding them wherever they go. 
But the reality of service is, it's a little bit different. Your service to God may be as public as preaching or teaching or leading worship or, or nationwide evangelism, but it's often not that public. It often goes very unnoticed, as unnoticed as maybe shoveling the sidewalk or serving in the nursery or setting up communion before church or vacuuming the floors when everyone is gone. It can be as loud as preaching and as quiet and unassuming as cleaning up after your brothers and sisters in the Lord. But God calls all of us to some kind of service. Outside the church, it may look like making a pot of soup for a sick friend, which Sarah's stinking awesome at. It might, it might be babysitting, like Victoria has, has, has served our family and, and babysat our children. It might be letting a friend borrow your vehicle. It might be checking on your neighbor's dog. It might be running errands for people who are homebound. It may be doing yard work for those physically disabled. It may be carpooling kids back and forth from school. But probably the hardest area and the most unappreciated and unassuming area that God calls us to serve is serving with humility and joy in our own homes, right? Serving often looks as unexceptional as the basic needs it seeks to provide. Now that's reality, but here's the problem. Our flesh despises the hiddenness of the discipline of service. We have in us this, this insatiable need to be noticed and approved of and applauded and admired. We have this prideful, sinful need to be thought well of constantly. Paul admonishes the church to never be softful in zeal, but fervent in spirit as we serve the Lord. And that's because two of our most overlooked and, and easily dismissed sins, both sloth and pride, hate the obscurity of Christian service. Like, we hate it. So I'm going to give you guys a picture of a typical day in the BBX household, okay? So my wife is at work, and, you know, she comes home. She's had a long day. And I say, hey, babe, hey, did you see the uh, dishes that I did that were in the sink from last night? Right? And then it's like, oh, hey, 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 babe, did you see that I folded that load of laundry that's been sitting in the dryer for, like, two days. Hey, 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 did you see I changed that light bulb you've been asking me to change for four months that you can't reach, right? This is a typical day. It's, did you see? Look, look what I did. I fixed it. I made it better constantly. You know, did you see that railing that Israel broke last Christmas that you've been begging me to fix? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's a typical day in our home. It's, it's, it's me, hey, babe, hi, honey, sweetheart, look, 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 look at me, look what I did. Our flesh hates the hiddenness of the discipline of service. And this is why it must become a discipline for us. We're not naturally inclined to serve in the shadows. We're not naturally inclined to serve in the obscurity that characterizes everyday Christian service, to serve willingly in the most unseen and mundane moments of life. Yet God calls all of his children to serve. But here's the really good news for us. No matter how public our ministry is, or no matter how unnoticed our ministry and service to God is, God himself has given each of us a very unique and special gift with which to serve our families and our church and our community. So here's our next point, and here's good news. All Christians are gifted to serve. All Christians are gifted to serve. We call these special and unique gifts from God, these gifts of the Spirit. Now, I'm going to read some some scriptures in which the Bible mentions these gifts. Let's start in 
1 Corinthians 12. We're going to read verses 4 through 11. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activity, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of those tongues. All these are empowered by one in the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Let's also look at Romans 12, verses 6 through 8. It says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Lastly, Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. And he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain in the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure and the stature and the fullness of Christ. So as we look at these multiple verses, multiple texts that talk about these different unique spiritual gifts that we are all gifted with, we have two points of assurance that we can grab and pull out from all of these. The first is this. If we belong to Jesus... The Holy Spirit has absolutely given us at least one spiritual gift. If we belong to Jesus, the Holy Spirit has given us at least one spiritual gift. Some have one, some have many. Two, if we belong to Jesus, he gave us our gifts to build up God's body, the church, and to build his kingdom. So we have an assurance. He has given us a gift, and we have a goal to build up the church, the body of Christ, and to build his kingdom. So some of you might ask, well, well, how do I discover what my spiritual gift is? How do I figure this out? Well, first, let me say this. The kingdom is full of zealous servants of God who have never discovered their spiritual gifts. Okay, It is full of zealous Lovers of God who have never discovered their spiritual gifts. They just really love Jesus, and they really love the church, and they really love people, and they really love building God's kingdom. So they serve with passion and with zeal in a disciplined way. Okay? So I don't want anybody to think, well, I don't, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. I don't know exactly in what way the Holy Spirit has uniquely gifted me. Here's the good news. You don't have to be a bench warmer because you don't know. You don't have to ride the bench behind those who might know because God can still use you. J.I. Packer said this, the most significant gifts in the church's life in every area are ordinary, natural abilities sanctified. Okay? The most significant gifts are natural abilities sanctified. Matt has a wonderful ability to take beautiful photos. But I know in everything he does, he takes photos for the Lord, whether it's for the church or for his family or for anything else. The beauty he tries to express in his photography brings glory to the Lord. Ordinary, natural abilities sanctified. For those of you who know how to fix cars, fix cars for the glory of the Lord. For those of you who know how to build, build for the glory of the Lord. For those of you who know how to, how to do nails, do somebody's nails for the glory of the Lord. Ordinary natural abilities sanctified. 
That's what J.I. Packer is saying here. Using our natural God-given talents for the glory of God. But here's another point of good news. Natural talents often point towards our spiritual gifting. Our natural talents often point towards our spiritual gifting. From a very young age, I was good with words. For a long time, I used that for very evil purposes. I was a great liar. And I could spin words with a silver tongue, and my wife still tells me, don't use your silver tongue on me. She does. She said, cut that out. But I was gifted with the ability of words, so I used that for the Lord. They often point towards our spiritual gifts, and we can, we can figure out and ascertain what our spiritual gifts are through the act of service. When we take on a task, and most of you who know who have worked in a ministry or worked in a church or even just started a new job, when we take on a task, it's not long before we realize that we fit or we don't, right? It's not very long. Like We may discover through serving on, let's say, a greeting team, that you have a heart for people, right? Or maybe you have the gift of mercy. But you will also discover if you really don't like people on that greeting team. You, you may also describe that. You may begin family devotions at home. And you may discover that you have a penchant for teaching, taking something that's obscure and complicated and making it simple. I mean... It's very hard to be a pastor if you don't like people, right? I had a conversation with my father just a month ago who was a pastor for a long time, and he said, Jameson, one thing that pastoring taught me is that I really don't like people, and I probably shouldn't have been a pastor. <laughs> so we can ascertain what our spiritual giftings are through service. It's, it's very hard to teach others if you hate to study yourself, right? We can ascertain what they are, but it often looks like a process of elimination before we know exactly what our spiritual gifting is. And we often don't find out first what it is, but, but what it is not. So what we can do is serve in a disciplined way, in a specific area of the church or in our home or in our community, and simply see what comes of it. We could serve in the shadows, even when it isn't exciting or thrilling. And I can promise you this much, in the process of disciplined service to God, God will use that service to make you more like Jesus, because that's the goal of service. Serving will become more natural to you. But here's the thing, that doesn't mean it won't still be very hard. Sometimes we have to face the reality that as we learn to serve and as we put ourselves out there and as we toil for the glory of the Lord, service is hard work. And this is our next point. Service is hard work. One lie that I had to overcome, which I don't know who told this to me, but Honestly, it was probably some of the worst advice I ever got as a pastor. And one lie that I, I had to overcome was, I can't remember who said it, but it said, Jameson, when you find out what your spiritual gift is, and you figure out what ministry you're called to, every day is going to be this endless joy and bliss, and it's going to be full of energy, and it's just going to be this wonderful cycle. You're going to go out, and you're going to serve people, and then you're going to have all this passion for it, and it's just constantly going to feed that feeling over and over and over again. You're going to be energized to do the work, and honestly, guys, that's bull crap. <laughs> that's, that's, that's absolute junk advice, because the reality is Service is hard work. It's not easy for the stay-at-home mom to do another load of laundry, another load of dishes, when everyone's been disrespecting her all day and she feels unwanted. It's not easy for the dad who goes to work every single day and is tired when he comes home to put a smile on his face and to love his family even though he just wants 10 freaking minutes to himself. It's not easy. It's nonsense advice, and it's detrimental to Christians who are trying to discover their spiritual gifts 
and figure out where they serve in God's kingdom. Paul wrote of his service to God in this way in the book of Colossians. Colossians 1, 29. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul often opened his letters with the words, Paul, an apostle, servant of God and Christ Jesus. Here's the thing. Servants work. Servants work. That's their job. Servants toil. Servants struggle. Servants get tired and exhausted. That word there, toil, means to work to the point of exhaustion. And that word struggling in this text, in the Greek, is rooted in the word agonize. It's rooted in the word agonize. So what Paul is saying here, he considered his calling to serve Christ, to exhort others towards, towards living the Christian life and spreading the gospel. He considered his call to agonize in God's service to the point of exhaustion. That's what he considered it to be. Now that really rails against my American sensibilities. That really rails against everything I've been taught. Because we're taught to work hard so that we can play a lot, right? We're taught to work hard so we can have the best life possible We're taught to work hard so we'll be respected by others. We're taught to work hard so we can have the nice toys and the nice house. When the Christian aim really is to work hard so that God gets more glory, people experience more good, and God's kingdom grows as His mission is accomplished. That's the goal of our hard work. It's hard. And there's nothing in the Bible about our hard work in accolades for us in this life. You won't find it. There's there's, there's nothing in the Bible about us receiving our rewards now. There's no accolades for me or excitement for me or, or, or the better life for me, comfort for me now. Because serving isn't about me. It's about God's mission It's about God's glory. And my reward for my service to God does not come in the here and now. Sure, if I manage my money well, yeah, I'll have a little bit of extra money. If I'm kind to my wife, yes, she will love me. Those are tangible things. But the real reward comes when I go to be with Jesus. That's when the reward for my hard work happens. When he looks at me and says, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into my rest. The reward for my service is more Jesus. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15.10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. He's talking about the other apostles. He's saying, I worked harder than all the other apostles. That's a huge, that's a big boast. Though it was not I... But the grace of God that is within me. Paul admits that serving God isn't easy, but that it's not ultimately Paul that's even doing the work. In his exhaustion, in his agony, in his toil, in his struggle to accomplish the mission of God, God was working his powerful grace in Paul's life. And the reward wasn't better stuff or better image or a better life for Paul. But Paul, by grace, this is the reward, by grace, being transformed into the image of Christ, Paul gets more Christ. That's his reward here and now. As I work and as I toil and I'm, and I'm changed into the image of Christ, my fellowship with God deepens. I become more like Jesus. I, 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 I identify more with his sufferings and his toil and his agony, and I get more of Jesus in the here and now, even as I re- await my reward of him in the sweet by and by. So here's what I'd like to do as we, as we close. 
in light of this, in light of the reality that we're all called to serve, that we're all gifted to serve, but that serving is hard work, that it's disciplined service, I'd like to offer six motivators to sharpen the saw of service, okay? Six motivators to sharpen your saw of service. The first one is obedience. Obedience. We are all commanded to serve. A servant who does not do as his master wills is no servant at all. Has anyone been in charge of other people? How do we look on them when we ask them to do something and they tell us no? A servant who does not serve his master is no servant at all. He proves that his real master is himself and not the one he's pledged his service to. Out of obedience to God's word, we use our talents and our abilities and spiritual gifts to serve God, not sitting on the sidelines, not watching others do the work, but we actively obey because that is our role as God's servants. Deuteronomy 13.4 says this, You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. Our first motivator is obedience. Second is gratitude. Gratitude. Gratitude moves the heart to greater service as we focused on what God has done for us. We don't focus on the task at hand. We don't focus on all the things we must do. Instead, focus on what God has done for us. Samuel spoke these words to the people of God in 1 Samuel 12, 24. He said, Only fear the Lord and serve Him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things He has done for you. Consider what great things He has done for you. It's very easy as we work for the Lord, as we labor in His kingdom, as we toil in His service, it's very easy for the fires of our passion and our zeal for the service to grow cold. Anybody who's been a Christian for even probably five years has probably experienced a season where they, the fire is just cold. We don't feel it. We don't feel like it. We can't find the reason. Maybe, maybe all the work we're doing seems to be having no effect. And we can't just see why we should keep going in our service to the Lord. When we feel this, what we should do is stop and consider all that the Lord has done for us. Consider what our lives were like before knowing the love of God. Consider what our lives were like before being brought into God's family, before the joy of knowing our sins forgiven, before the thrill of knowing Christ and the indwelling of His Spirit, before knowing the love of the Father God. We should stop and take a long look. Why not even write out a list of all the things that God has done for us and at the top put, He saved me. He saved me. And in saving me, He gave me Himself. There's no greater gift that God can give anyone than fellowship with Himself. And he gave that to us by grace. Without our asking, he just did it. Let us be grateful and do the work of serving, showing the world what he's like. And if you do actually do that, if you do actually write the list, you are going to have a long list of things to testify to unbelievers about who God is and what he's done in your life. Number three, Gladness. Motivated by gladness. This is perhaps the hardest one for most people. God does not desire that our service be filled with complaining and grumbling and dragging our feet in this sourpuss attitude. 
that so many of us put on, I put on so often. And I'm not just talking about serving in the church, but serving my wife, serving my children, serving my co-pastor. I put on this sad, sourpuss attitude, but, but God, he desires a cheerful spirit of obedience and gratitude. He actually desires that we be happy, that we get to be in the service of the Lord. As Dan read this morning, Psalm 102, serve the Lord with gladness, come into his presence with singing. Now for much of history, it was a death sentence to walk into the presence of a king with a frown on your face. It was a death sentence to walk into the king's presence, into his courts with a frown. One just didn't do that because it showed that the servant was dissatisfied and unfulfilled, maybe even loathed being in the king's service. Even worse, it, it might show the king that they were tired of the way he was doing things. They were unhappy being his servants. I want you to think about this. Suppose God allowed you to be in anyone's service, anyone on the face of the earth. You could serve the president. You could serve your favorite celebrity. You could serve, um, I don't know, Adele. <laughs> you could serve Elon Musk. That's probably a bigger one. You could be his right-hand man. Suppose that God said, Jameson, I will let you serve anyone on the face of the earth, but here's the catch. You don't get to serve me. You can serve anyone else, but you can't serve me. We serve with gladness, remembering that our service to God is a privilege. It's not an obligation. And so often I treat it as an obligation. We get to serve God. And we get to serve God because here's the thing. God first served us. He first served us in sending his son and saving us and calling us to himself and bringing us to new life and giving us the gospel and, and giving us his Holy Spirit that we could walk in his presence. He first served us. We love God because he first loved us. And that, my friends, should make us glad people. Donald Whitney in his book asked this question, do you serve on that church team with gladness or with gloom? Do you serve your neighbors willingly or reluctantly? Here's, here's the big one. Do your children get the impression that you really enjoy serving God or that you merely endure serving God? I'm so guilty of that. Do my sons get the impression that I love serving God or that I merely endure his presence? Let us serve with gladness. Number four, humility. Prideful servants will only serve when it benefits them. Prideful servants will only serve when it benefits them, but humble servants will serve God willingly and serve others willingly and without a need for recognition. Philippians 2, 3 through 8 says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you Look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." The kind of service that God requires is not inward focused. It's not me, 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 look at me. It's outward focused. It's what do you need and look at God. That's the service that God requires. One of our former pastors used to say this, and I'm sure you probably stole it from somebody else, but he said, humility is not thinking of yourself less, but, think, but not thinking about yourself at all. Humility is not just thinking less about Jameson, but it's taking Jameson out of the equation and thinking about God and others. 
But our flesh rails against this kind of service, and yet we see it in Jesus' example time and time again. From feeding the 5,000 when he just wanted to be alone with God, to washing the disciples' dirty feet after they had been traveling, certainly a humble Jesus, quietly hanging on a cross for our sins. Jesus humbled himself for us. So let us, as his body, humble ourselves for him and for one another. Number five, worship. Worship. If you ask any old saint how they keep their passion for, and zeal for Jesus alive every day, they will say, I am with Jesus every morning. They will say, I am with Jesus every morning. We can not divorce our service to God from our beholding and knowing God. Peter Scazzaro, who's another one of my favorite authors, puts it really simply. He says, never let your doing for God outweigh your being with God. And how many of us are guilty of that? Never let your doing for God outweigh your being with God. Our private time with God, our prayer, our Bible intake, our meditation, our walks in the forest, simply beholding His creation and giving Him praise, our private time with God fuels our public work for Him. Our private time with God fuels our public work for Him. Our time gathered together on Sundays, bringing him praise, fuels our public work for him. And some of us wonder, I've often wondered, why do I lack a zeal and a passion for God's work? Well, Jameson, it's because you lack a fundamental passion for the Lord. We will not have a passion and a zeal for God's work if we do not have a passion and a zeal for God. It just doesn't work. Worship doesn't spring up like that takes time and dedication in his presence to keep the zeal of service alive. And Chelsea and I, we just um, celebrated our nine-year anniversary, and I think I've finally learned something at nine years. I will not give my time and energy and service to my bride if I'm not spending time with my bride. I'm not going to love her if I'm not spending time with her. I'm not going to give myself to her if I don't know her, if I don't know her, outside of me enjoying her presence and who she is, I'm not going to serve her. I cannot love her and be absent from her. And our last motivator for service is this, love. Love. Love is the primary motivator for all service to God. Jesus said, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as himself. He was summarizing the law of God. Paul says this in Galatians 5.13, for you, church, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. There is no greater fuel that will burn longer and hotter and with more zeal and with more passion than love for God. There's things I will do out of my love for God that I will never do for money. You can't pay me enough to do some of the things that I would do for God out of my love for God. You, can, you can't pay me to do some things that I will do for Chelsea, for anybody else. Because my love for her is unique. Love. There's no greater motivator. God has brought us into his family so that we could be like him and serve like him and love like him, not so that we could serve ourselves. And God has already proven that he is the perfect servant for us. We don't need to serve ourselves. We have a perfect servant who humbles himself and serves us even now. What do you need that God's love does not provide? It was God's love for us that caused Jesus to go to the cross. God, in love, committed to our redemption 
and our sanctification and our glorification and our eternal life in Him. Let's end here with Ephesians 1, 3-6. says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. God was constrained by His love for us to rescue us. Convergent Church, in the year 2022, let us be constrained by our love to serve God, to love others, and to see God's kingdom expand. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And we're so deeply thankful for your love for us. Lord, we're so deeply thankful that you sent Jesus to die on a cross. That we could be forgiven and washed clean and brought into your family and into your service. Lord, let us be motivated this year to serve you with obedience and humility and gladness and gratitude and love and in worship, Lord. Lord, and on those days when we don't want to, when we want to quit, when, when we say we've done enough or we just don't have the strength or the energy or the passion to move forward, let us serve you, God, in our repentance and faith. Let us serve you, Lord, by falling to our knees and saying, Lord, I'm tired, I'm weary, I'm struggling. I just need you, Lord. We know that you accept that as acceptable service in your sight. Lord, you accept the tired and the broken even as you encourage us to greater works. And that's what you said. You said we would do greater works than you, Lord. And so, Lord, as we look onto this new year to greater fellowship, to greater service, to greater evangelism, Lord, to a church launch, to public ministry. God, let us serve you as diligent laborers, as disciplined disciples, and let us have our reward, which is more of Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.